Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for that really informative lecture. When I was listening to you, I couldn't help but think that in a busy cancer clinic, it would be so easy to miss something as subtle as dissociation or to think that maybe the patient was just being quiet or coping really well, to misunderstand a patient's anger in response to being triggered as being difficult or a problem patient, or to misperceive, let's say, not attending follow-up appointments as not being committed to your health or not taking your condition seriously instead of maybe not having heard the instructions in the first place or being too afraid to come back to the clinic. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, this idea that sexual violence survivors can be misunderstood or their behaviors misperceived in cancer care. Absolutely, that can happen. And it's understandable that if you don't have all the information, it can seem like the patient just isn't cooperative or has a difficult personality. Then we might find ourselves being a little aggravated with the patient, which patients can pick up on. And that's why it's so important to consider sexual violence and other stressful circumstances in a patient's life that could be impacting their response to cancer treatment or to health visits in general. So if we notice that a patient seems challenging or having a reaction that's stronger than maybe what we're used to seeing, a first step would be to pause and to consider whether sexual violence, trauma, or post-traumatic reactions could possibly be at play. Yes, I think that's right. I like to take the position that there's no such thing as overreacting. Something that seems like an overreaction usually makes total sense when you consider the full scope of a patient's life. If they're traumatized or overwhelmed before cancer, and cancer itself is plenty challenging, then they really might have exhausted most of their coping resources by the time they see us. And remembering that stress is cumulative over the lifetime can help us find some more compassion when someone seems to be difficult. For instance, if you have a dermatology patient who's getting a skin check and who panics and pulls back when the doctor lifts up their hair to check the back of their neck, you might have the initial impression that the patient is overreacting or dramatic. But then if you remember, okay, no such thing as an overreaction, trauma over the lifetime can affect each moment, maybe the patient's past experiences are impacting their behavior with this exam, it could help you to feel calmer and kinder in the moment and more willing to stop, pause, or offer an alternative. Basically, if we think about trauma, if we think about the prevalence of sexual violence, it can give us a context to be more compassionate, maybe less irritated and more understanding, no matter how busy or stressful the day may be. I think so. And so also in terms of helping us manage emotions and feelings and reactions, during the lecture you talked about grounding techniques. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to demonstrate one with me here now that so trainees can see how quick and practical this can be for them to use in their everyday practice. Sure, I'd be happy to. So you might say something like, focusing on one of your five senses in this moment can sometimes help when you're feeling overwhelmed. If you're willing to practice that, you might just touch the chair that you're sitting in or the material of your clothing, noticing the feeling of it, the texture, the temperature, the sensation on your fingers can sometimes help people feel more grounded and safe in the moment. You can try to bring your mind back to that sense of touch, even if you have to do it a few times, but then it usually gets easier. Would you want to try that out just for a few seconds? That would be great. Great. So can you just walk me through this? <laughs> sure so I'm going to put my hands on the chair yeah. and just notice the feelings under my fingers. Yeah, just notice the feeling of the fabric. How's that feeling? It feels smooth. There's a little bit of bumpiness to it. 
Yeah, and you kind of think about noticing that my index fingers are pressing down more than my pinky fingers, kind of noticing where my hands are sitting in space. Right, and if your mind goes away, you can try just bringing it back to noticing something else in that moment with that sensation. So if I'm drifting, I can maybe bring it back by asking something like, where are my thumbs right now? Or what color blue is the chair? Or what does it remind me of? Exactly. It basically gives patients an alternative. They have a choice to try to come to this present moment into a stimulus that's more neutral, less threatening than the trigger or than cancer. And it's kind of nice sometimes to be in a neutral experience. And usually people don't have strong feelings about the chair. They don't love it or hate it. It's just kind of like <laughs> there's some sort of safety in the neutrality of it that, okay, I'm just feeling the fabric. That's all I have to do is hang on literally to something right here in the moment, right now, that could help ground me, that could help keep me safe. That's beautiful. I guess one question I have is, let's say that I'm in an exam room, which can feel like not a very neutral experience. And maybe what I have around me is an exam table and a gown and bandages and, and Q-tips. What can I hang on to there that may feel safe and not quite so threatening if the healthcare environment feels threatening? That's an interesting question. And you might even ask for the patient to participate in identifying something that's um, a little bit more neutral. So, okay, I know that there's a lot in this room. Is there anything that feels kind of safe right now for you to touch that maybe seems familiar? And maybe that's uh, your pants, for instance, or maybe it's uh, holding your keys. Maybe you're used to doing that. It could really be anything. And it doesn't have to be touching an object to kind of get in touch with that sense of touch. You could say, um, you know, you might just want to try wiggling your toes right now. Sometimes when we get upset, it can feel very much like, well, you know, the sensations are in our minds or in our chest or in our stomach. And, you know, as long as the feet aren't triggering for the patient, sometimes wiggling the toes can help bring the attention to a more neutral part of the body. So that could be another option that wouldn't depend on what's in the room. And it also doesn't have to be touch at all. You were mentioning it could be other senses. So if there's maybe a song I want to listen to on my phone or looking at something like maybe a clock or some artwork in the room, that would be okay too? That all sounds good to me. Again, it's really the patient's subjective experience about is there something here that feels neutral or safe that we could focus on for a few moments? So that's something we can negotiate together. Absolutely. And then you're getting the patient to participate, which is always nice, and having them engage in this way of choosing what they might want to focus on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing you're doing right now that seems like it requires special mental health training or a psychological background. This seems like something anybody could do for themselves or for their patients to help bring them back to the here and now. That's right. Anyone comfortable working with patients can do this to help them focus, be calmer, and recover in the moment. Thank you so much for that demonstration. I feel more relaxed and grounded right now. <laughs> I hope our trainees found that informative as well. So to wrap up, I'm wondering if you could sum up the take-home messages of this module. Sure. I think the main thing to remember is that most people aren't trying to make your work harder on purpose. They're usually really struggling and don't know how to handle it. I know that it can be hard to remember during tough moments with patients. You might be doing something that you've done a million times before, the same room, the same equipment, but for the patient, it's all new and can be triggering. Think about a skin check, for example. For many of us, it's a quick, non-invasive, kind of awkward procedure, 
But for patients with a history of sexual violence, it can feel like strangers inspecting and touching their bodies in an uncomfortable way. And we imagine ourselves in that situation, we'd probably be super anxious, flinch when touched, maybe tear up, fly off the handle, or maybe even end the procedure early because we can't tolerate it. It's my hope that this course will teach providers to think twice about how they respond to those patient behaviors and recognize that what seems like an overreaction or even a personal criticism or attack may actually be a natural reaction to having sexual violence memories triggered. If providers keep that in mind, it'll help them be more empathetic and sensitive to their patients and better able to help them. So I guess my take home message would be to remember that everyone walks into cancer screening and treatment with a unique life history and interpret their experience through that lens. Thank you so much for this lecture and we'll talk again soon.